Sam was reading about the others when he saw the mouse. Such an intimidating mouse, too. Not like the <laughs> Rattata that you have in Pokemon Go. But what I am jealous of, though, I will say in these two chapters, is that it's so nice and cold up at the wall. Whereas I think for the three of us that are here today, it is sweltering, disgustingly hot in our respective cities as we sit down to record this episode. The East Coast is experiencing a heat wave, isn't it, right now? My dad is texting me saying all sorts of expletives about how hot it is, uh, which is nice. I like catching up with my dad, but Chicago, guys, is actually today... A little tolerable. Please don't talk to me anymore, Eric, okay. about All right. that. <laughs> All right. The Feast with Dragons is uh, continuing on. It's the next course of A Feast with Dragons. Mm-hmm. And we are here three deep this week again. Uh, our strongest, bravest knight has journeyed out to face a dragon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to face the dragon. The best way to put it is that uh, one of our fearless knights is out doing... A secret mission. Hopefully, we'll find out more information about it uh, in the future. But uh, it is the three of us here this week on Game of Owns. There is a lot to talk about related to uh, these two chapters, though they are basically the same. They I think, are. Mm-hmm. I think we can Copy safely and say that. And, and it's, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's all George needs to do between uh, uh, The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, maybe we'll get both books uh, within a relatively short period of time. Because, hey now, hey now. <laughs> no, I mean, um, literally, I Hannah is telling you the truth. The, these are, and Eric, I, I know you read, so. I've read. I've read. They're literally the same words, which I I guess you can expect. But what's interesting to me is that we've read chapters that, you know, we've had multiple characters in the same scene before. And I don't ever remember there being this much overlap in terms of the actual copy. I know uh, one of our one of our listeners sent in an own specifically related to this, but it's 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 I guess it makes sense. Right. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, look, it's only two pages out of the 20 that the chapters did, but it's it's the thick of the discussion about where John is sending Sam. And, and you know, it's funny because when I was reading, uh, obviously we read the, the Samwell uh, 2 chapter, wait, no, Samwell 1 chapter first um, from Feast for Crows. And getting into the John 2 chapter from Dance with Dragons, the first sort of time when they're beginning the conversation, there is like a summary like, oh, they went into stuff about young kings. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, good. We're being spared like the knit and the grit. And then the next two pages are like, as you said, word for word, the same thing. conversation. Mm-hmm. But you can understand why it is important to rehash a lot of this stuff as these characters who've been separated by a book both have to deal with or, you know, that's sort of the origin point for both of their characters. So I, I like it. I didn't I didn't mind it as much. Um because I knew that normally, you know, people were reading these simultaneous chapters mm-hmm. uh, years apart or in, or even books apart, uh, you know, a thousand pages apart from one another if you read them in the non-Feast with Dragons order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there's some interesting points about the others and there's some info dumpy stuff in here just about the Night's Watch, which I think is interesting and important to rehash again that you may have forgotten by the time you get to A Dance of Dragons. But I also think it helps build up this reveal about um, Gilly and her son um, by the time we get to John's point of view in A Dance of Dragons. And 
I think it's fun that we read them back to back though. And it maybe have been a little bit tedious to kind of read these in a row um, the way that we did. But I think that this is what makes this reading order fun is because you have a chance to really compare and contrast these two points of view. It was probably pretty easy to line these chapters up from <laughs> yeah. the two books <laughs> when coming up with the, the order. But I will say like, Sam's chapter, for instance, starts a little bit before John's chapter does. Sam is reading in the library and reflecting over how little sleep he's had. Presumably, right upstairs, uh, Gilly is meeting with John, which is where his chapter begins. And then John's chapter, of course, ends a little later. You're able to go off and it's sort of the rest of John's day after that. So they, they, there are um, concentric uh, but also they each add a little bit of spice that I really enjoyed um, while reading them together. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that um, what makes for you know, a, a good pairing of chapters, Hannah, you touched on it, but you get the reveal about the baby swap uh, very, very soon after you read Sam's chapter. And I don't really know where in the storyline possibly Gilly reveals the information to Sam. It may be later in A Feast for Crows. I think it's on the boat, actually. I think Meister Eamon lets Sam in on the secret once it's too late to turn back. Uh, I could be remembering that wrong, but everybody's really sick on the boat, and he can't figure out why Gilly's crying so much. Mm -hmm. uh, and... and uh, it may be Eamon. I don't. I think it's actually the the ship hand uh, or one of the other men who says, "You know, why why do you think she's crying? It's it's she's actually it's grief uh, because they swapped her child." And Sam's like, "Oh, you know, mm -hmm. really surprised." But yeah, you're right. The the machinations and like John, it, it's just as well that that Sam is sent off because looking at the way that these characters and their trajectory goes, you know, John has to go off and and kill the boy and be you know, the commander with, with the death of the execution of Jonas Slint. That happens in John's chapter. Sam is sent away sort of safely before this happens. And if Sam hadn't been sent away, you can't help but think that he might have um, either tried to stand in the way and gotten hurt or, you know, something else, something worse would have happened. I'm just disappointed you have to wait seven years to find out the rest of John's day and the fact that he had Gone the greatest part, John O'Slint. Yeah, the greatest part of this well, whole. Well, that's that's kind of what exchange. makes it badass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Sam though, it is he gets to be part of what I think is a really badass plan. Um, just get sort of getting into uh, Samwell one here from Feast for Crows, but this plan that has been devised, or I should say, like co-devised by Eamon and John, really ticks a lot of boxes. I think for the Night's Watch and for everything. You know, that's good and right in the world. Uh, the Night's Watch gets a new maester eventually. But in the meantime, Sam gets to go off. Gilly and, as we find out, Dalla's boy, uh, get to, you know, really live and thrive uh, potentially at Hornhill. Like, it really is is a great, honestly brilliant plan, uh, which kind of goes off without a hitch, even though Sam's nervous about it. Well, it is a great plan. And John is surprised that Sam is so, like you said, nervous about it and so apprehensive about the way that his he's got his dad in his head. And he keeps kind of going back to, which, by the way, this awful story about his dad chaining him up <laughs> for three days while he, he, like, John keeps talking to him about it's going to be great, you're going to study, you're going to take Gilly with you, I need, you know, he needs to do this for, for the Night's Watch. And Sam can't, can't help but think about this awful exchange that he had with his father. And I just can't help but think how... 
Sam doesn't believe how brave he is and John is continually trying to get him to realize that. But the fact mm. that he's still able to go off and do these things with these horrible things that his family and or not his family, his father did to him in the back of his head only adds to his Sam the Slayer braveness factor, which I think is really cool. But I just, that was just awful. It, it was. I mean, Sam's just such an interesting character because you have this guy who's done these things, you know, which John has to painfully uh, list out to him, you know, in the end. And in the end, it's just, not, it's not even like convincing him. It's commanding him to never say that he's a coward. It's commanding him to never show his fear, uh, you know. But on the other hand, you get at the beginning of the chapter when uh, Sam sees the mouse and he's like, oh, you know, that. He's not only after the cheese and the breadcrumbs, but I, he's eating the books, you know, the, the paper in these books that, that I'm fucker. reading that I'm <laughs> right. It shows <laughs> books are hard to come by. They are. And they're vital to Sam being successful in, in the research in that mission. he's trying to do. Absolutely. But it's funny to me that for somebody who is chided time and time again for being so overweight, his thought really goes to the books as opposed to the food, you would think that the food to him, sustenance would be more important. I mean, looking really at the beginning of this chapter, he is completely immersed in the task that he's been given to find out more information about the others that he can't recall the last time he ate. He doesn't know if it's day or night. He's been you know, in this uh, library sort of beneath the wall studying away for hours and hours and hours on end. And so it's it's only fitting that we see him in this light. And then later on in the chapter, John makes the decision to send him off to be a maester and to study at the Citadel. Him it's not remembering fit. when he ate is going to be us when Winds of Winter comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that, Handy, because yeah. there there's a lot of meta quotes uh, about the book, about being able to fall into the world of a book. It's something like, each page is a new world to fall into. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really like cool stuff in this chapter from direct from George, where it talks about how fantasy can yeah. carry us away, but it's research. It's obviously, you know, Sam is not on a leisurely read uh, through the annals of the black centaur and other books. He's got to um, hurry up, man. He can't use the Dewey decimal system. He needs a couple of laptops in there so he can look up what the hell is in this library. It seems like there's right. so much stuff. I know but your point is right. I, I think it was a nod to book readers just in general. Uh, the line was before he lost his sight, the maester had loved books as much as Samuel Tarley did referring to maester Eamon. He understood the way you could sometimes fall right into them as if each page was a hole into a, into another world. Mm-hmm. And that's very much what we're doing right now, right? Every page is kind of a hole into another world or a part of this world that we're reading about. So uh, I think that was a a bit of a tip of the cap by George to to us as readers. Mm -hmm. And and, and then you get just the situation that Sam does not in the end bring himself to kill the mouse. Uh, he, He mucks it up. Uh, by dropping the book because the book is so heavy and it scares the mouse away. But you have this character who is, you know, comparatively to all the other characters, the POV characters that we see in these books, you know, Sam is the least ruthless. He's the least capable of, he, he wouldn't hurt a fly or wouldn't hurt a mouse or he would screw it up. And, you know, I just love these Sam chapters because you really realize that there's still a place in this cruel, cruel world for a character like Sam. He does have that sweet nature about him. And 
yet he's still been incredibly successful as a member of the Night's Watch, as John reminds him. Mm -hmm. And so he's still able to keep that way about him without becoming hardened by the experiences that he's had, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's uh, definitely throughout the course of this chapter, there are moments of weakness. And we talked a little bit about with when he's remembering what happened at the hands of his father and just the brutal nature of Randall Tarley. But I, I really enjoyed it the end of the chapter, particularly when John orders him specifically to not be craven anymore. Uh, but I, I think he just needs a little bit of confidence. He needs mm -hmm. to re recognize the fact that he helped get John elected as Lord Commander. Uh, yeah. He's been able to defeat a White Walker. Uh, he has done all of these things that under normal circumstances, and I think John references this, that he's done more in the last year than most people do in a lifetime. And he should have the conviction. He should have the bravery. And uh, I know that I highlighted a couple of nicknames that he gets throughout the chapter that are funny to listen to. <laughs> the seducer. <laughs> yeah, Sam the seducer um, <laughs> when they're talking about Val. Uh, but you, know, you, you see it portrayed, I think, a lot more clearly in the show because um, John Bradley does such a great job as Sam. Mm -hmm. um, but you're, you're kind of able to draw upon the things that he does in the show and see it in the character as you read through. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, I would like to see Sam, and, and we know from the show that he does gain a level of confidence throughout the seasons, but I just wish he would have a little bit more conviction and, and, and speak up a little bit more because it's clear that he has done a lot. He just needs to own it. He needs to find us, you know, as our show says, you know, own it. <laughs> well, it's Sam like, is an own in and of himself. I'm putting that on a shirt. Well, it's kind of like what, um, I don't know if it was in the Sam chapter and John's chapter when John's like telling Sam that he has to obey him because he basically got him elected as Lord Commander. Yeah, here's and the so, line. I yeah, have, you read I have it. it right here. Yeah, Beak, uh, he says, okay, this is Sam. It, it, what's the, oh, I can't do that. Wait, what's my Sam? Oh boy, okay, here we go. <laughs> Mickey Mouse, it, it was the dragon, d -d 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 dragon glass, not me. Be quiet. You lied and schemed and plotted to make me Lord Commander. You will obey me. Uh, <laughs> you will go to the Citadel and forge a chain, and if you have to cut up corpses, so be it. At least in Old Town, the corpses won't object. Amazing stuff. That's, a, that's amazing. a great line. And you see in this chapter, as well as in the John chapter, though, how John is not really perceived to be John anymore. He's the Lord Commander and he's referenced as such uh, by Pip, by Gren, by Dollar Said, and, and, and many other members of the Night's Watch that Sam comes in, in contact with through the, throughout the chapter. And I, I like that line that, you know, you've made me Lord Commander. Now I'm going to take this role very seriously and you're going to have to listen to what I tell you. <laughs> and you know, it's it's great to see Pip and Gren and get sort of a one last, you know, we don't know if Sam will ever see them again. Uh, and, you know, being in uh, the thick of A Feast for Crows, getting into it and, you know, that happen happening to be a book uh, without John as a POV character, this might be the last time we see John in this book. Not sure if we do in somebody else's POV later. Um but, you know, this is the last time Sam thinks he, he might see the wall even. And so this is sort of the chapter manages to be a great farewell or goodbye to some of our favorite characters. And then the least favorite characters like the Janice Slint and the Alistair Thorne uh, are saved for uh, John's, you know, mm -hmm. in the end, in the right. next book. So mm -hmm. nothing but good stuff at the wall happening. And then our favorite person at the wall, uh, well, either Gilly or Meister Eamon, make your pick, are both coming going with Sam. So it's super easy. One thing Sam brought up at the be the beginning of the chapter that 
I wanted to talk about. It, it really doesn't have much to do with his chapter overall, but I just thought since it was a piece of, of Westerosian history that uh, we should talk a little bit about it. Uh, it's when he mentioned the fact that there were dragons at the wall 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he asked the question, uh, King Jaehaerys, right, had um, a dragon that was at the wall and he wanted to know if this dragon could have left behind an egg or had Stannis found an egg on Dragonstone. And then he said, even if he has an egg, how can he hope to quicken it? Baylor the Blessed had prayed over his eggs and other Targaryens had sought to hatch theirs with sorcery. All they got for it was farce and tragedy. So is this just a little snippet that's mentioned in passing or are we meant to really think a little bit more on it? Now yeah, is this we, one of those things where nothing is a coincidence? Right. Are there dragon eggs at the wall? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, trapped in so much ice, buried under so mm-hmm. much ice. Did Silverwing lay an egg? Uh, it's well. Is it just Sam's mind having spent so much time beneath the wall now doing his studies for the last 24, 48 hours? And like he's just pulling out different facts and, and, and other things so. that he's read? Or is yeah, there legitimacy so. to this? Well, I think both, right? It works on several levels. Um, Sam's just been studying this stuff. I uh, even get a light, nice little reference to the Night King uh, here and there. Um, but all this stuff, all these tales that you know we know more than their share are probably actually true. Uh, it just sort of inspires Sam. Like if he were to be uh, sleeping regularly, I'm sure that George would write him as having crazy dreams that were even more prophetic and more... Uh, true to what really occurred. Um, this prospect of a dragon egg uh, could also be a metaphor for the uh, Targaryen now in charge of the wall, um, you know, for, for John. And essentially, that book that Aemon uh, says that he lends, that he, he marked a passage, or he's going to have a passage marked for John, is a book about, it's the Jade Compendium, it's a book about the East. And, you know, I have a feeling that uh, whatever that passage may be as it is uh, revealed and it, it might not be until the next book until, um, you know, one of the John chapters in Dance with Dragons, uh, you know, we'll have all the relevance to John's true destiny or origin. I just have a feeling that that would be the way that my Maester Eamon goes out with mm-hmm. some sort of, you know, cheeky thing. For me, for me, I think that at least in reference to the specific moment that Sam is thinking about Targaryens on the wall and dragons is the one of my favorite things about George R. R. Martin's writing style is the fact that he's able to pull in these super rich pieces of history and, and weave them into the story that we're reading. I, that makes it sound so simplified and d- dumb, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's able to drop history into the current narrative. And so I think that this is just one of those moments of, hey, you know, remember that the wall has been here for a very, very, very long time. And a lot of things have happened here and there's a very rich history here. Um, And keep this in mind in terms of while we're dealing with actual dragons again for the first time. And as we're kind of starting to fight the others again and kind of bringing back some of this old stuff, you know, there's, there's a rich history here. And so that's one of my favorite things about the way these books are written is the fact that we get these backstories without, it being in your face, here's a history lesson mm-hmm. kind of deal. Yeah, I feel like Tyrion is very good at that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He knows and, his and history. We, yeah. 
And and we also have connections to the first John chapter um, in, in Dance with Dragons as well, where John is training in the yard. Uh, and we learn that Sam has been put to the bow uh, as a task that all the men really, they're, they're really trying to focus more on archery. Uh, just kind of really like the goings on coming off of Storm of Swords and the big battle at the wall. Uh, you know, Stannis's troops are occupying and it's really a good uh, intro to and then quick like goodbye for all the stuff that's not going to occur in this particular book. Um, but thanks to our reading, uh, we get to deal with it right mm-hmm. away. Yeah, and there, that seems to be a bit of conflict, right? This letter that John is penning to King Tommen, uh, Stannis has, you know, solidified some sort of pact with the Night's Watch, uh, because of course he helped to get rid of the Wildlings. So John is faced with the dilemma of being perceived as if he's aiding Stannis moving forward, and quite honestly, I don't know. Despite the fact that the Night's Watch is not supposed to get involved in matters related to the Seven Kingdoms, aside from protecting uh, everybody from what lies beyond the wall, if he could really turn down Stannis uh, fully. Exactly. Uh, Stannis has the full force of his army who easily disposed of all those wildlings, or at least held them at bay for a while, uh, captured Mance Raider. Uh, so to think that he would have any trouble really disposing of the members of the Night's Watch when there's so few and far between, uh, you know, what choice would John actually have? Now, one thing that kind of stood out to me in this chapter as, as they're having the discussions about all of this is that they still think that Tywin Lannister is He's alive. alive. Yeah. Not only not only them, but Jonas Slint um, references him just before he has his head chopped off. Uh, <laughs> so, Clearly, word doesn't always travel as fast as we think it does uh, in in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, John, you're right. John's kind of in a tough situation here. What was he supposed to do with Stannis exactly? I mean, he asked for aid from everybody else and nobody else came and nobody else helped. And so, of course, he's going to take Stannis up on his offer and, and let him help at the wall. But I think that keeping the lines of communication open with the Lannisters, I think that I think he's doing the best that he can here. Right. Because, um, because taking the moral high ground always works out really well for everybody in this series. Oh, gosh. So. <laughs> I, yeah, there's, there's really nothing else they could have done. I, but I, I think Tywin still would have branded, uh, you know, John a traitor uh, and, and had him disposed of. If, if Tywin were to be still alive, not dealing with his own family crumbling uh, and all the political stuff that's happening right. in King's Landing, uh, the Night's Watch, I mean, Tywin's viewpoint would have been that the men of the Night's Watch should have uh, died in peril rather than help a traitor to the to the throne. Right. I think 100%. Um, but it's still a good point. Stannis could have easily wiped them all out. And we do get insights into matter of state that are going on. Uh, John wants to try and or is struggling with whether or not he should send this letter to King Tommen. Uh, mm-hmm. There's references to the fact that the Lannisters do have um, allies in the north with Roose Bolton's bastard. There's mention of the fact that Stannis has been able to get the Karstarks to rally to his cause. He sent Davos and Solid Orsan to White Harbor to treat with Wyman Manderley. So we, we're getting insight into what Stannis is trying to do in order to really build his forces, even though this is a, a Sam chapter or a John chapter. So clearly Stannis is, is sort of this looming presence despite the fact that we're reading it from the perspectives of of two people who are trying to defend uh, the North from 
not what's south of them, uh, but but what's north of them. There is also the encounter between Sam and Gilly prior to Sam getting into uh, John's office, as I'll call it, uh, and and you can tell now you with the knowledge that she is being forced to leave her child behind why she is so upset upon leaving the office and you can even tell it in some of the way that she's expressing herself her eyes fills up fill up with tears and and all these things and so if you're reading this through for the first time you're probably wondering to yourself why is she so upset because the explanation that John gives later on doesn't really warrant how truly upset she is but once you find out the conversation that takes place in John's chapter, it, it makes a whole lot more sense. Right. Uh, yeah. And Sam walking straight into a trap or saying the absolute worst thing that he can, you know, asks about the children right away. That's right. What's on Gilly's mind uh, right then at the moment and having to leave one of them. She really like makes the distinction uh, as well between her, her boys um, or the boys because he says, how are the babes? And she says, they're good. Um, he says between the two of them, to wonder you can sleep. Which one was it I heard crying? And she's sort of like, it's just like, you know, sort of defensive. Dalla's boy cries when he wants the teat. Mine hardly ever cries. And that's uh, supposed to be a clue for how you tell them apart when they're on the, the ship, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of, there There are well, subtle I would differences. Cry on the ship, probably. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> uh, forget I said all that. <laughs> we mentioned Tommen a bit, but one of the other parallels that I drew between the chapters was when. Bran gets mentioned and immediately oh. Sam thinks to himself, Bran's not dead. He's gone <laughs> beyond the wall with cold hands. And that just sounds absurd to say out loud to somebody. Uh, but then if you go to John's chapter, there's that moment where John thinks that Sam wanted to say something related mm-hmm. to Bran, but it looks like he kind of holds back a little bit uh, or yeah. there's a little bit of anxiety or nervousness around the conversation. It says, it says an odd look came upon Sam's yeah. face. Yeah. So I uh, love that seeing that from the two varying perspectives, knowing what Sam knows and that he, he encountered Bran earlier in the series, he'll encounter another Stark later on in the series. So <laughs> and that John knows Sam well enough to see the, you know, look on his face. As Absolutely. It's holding this secret in you know it's it's interesting because for as impartial as the night's watch uh is supposed to be john does seek vengeance for his brother rob and for his here's a quote from john it's death and destruction i want to bring down upon house lannister not scorn you know john is still having difficulty signing this letter because it represents or tries at you know an alliance between the night's watch and the Lannisters, when that's sort of, we can tell personally that that's the farthest thing that he wants to happen. Yeah, I think there's a, probably a bit of uh, history here where there is a, you know, a partial nature towards not wanting to send this letter because of what has transpired between the Starks and the Lannisters. And and I don't think anybody's more evident of that than than John Slint, uh, you know, later on in, in John's chapter. And, and, you know, he's still being branded as a traitor, the son of a traitor, and and that's why he really garners little to no respect from Slint and, and those that were willing to vote for him to become Lord Commander. So I think that John is, is finding that it is very, very difficult and complicated to be Lord Commander, though I will say that I think that's probably the best position for him uh, right at this moment. He's also doing something that 
while this all seems very easy that he's going to send Sam off to the Citadel, uh, he's going to send Maester Aemon with him. He's going to send Gilly off. It, it's dangerous, though, because mm-hmm. not that these people would be in any way uh, able to defend John better than John can defend himself. They're still allies of his. And he doesn't have very many of them. Yeah. And, and you know, he has Pip and Gren and Dollarset and a few others, but these these are core members of, of, of John's squad, let's say. And they're being and, and at least somebody the likes of Maester Eamon commands a high level of respect at the wall, even from Thorn. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised that he is so willing and, and it's with good purpose, right, that he's doing this. I'm just surprised that he is so willing to send these people away from the wall it to me it's less protection it's less detection in some cases too because i feel like sam picks up on things maybe he's able to see things coming that others would not so it to me it, it, it's surprising he's also openly defying the king he's openly or the king and i wouldn't say stannis i'll just say stannis uh he's openly defying melisandre by uh, pulling the 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 sheet over them essentially with Dallas boy and sending this child to rescue he you know Sam and, and John have a conversation uh, while they're talking about the letter but it's about whether or not Stannis could actually win uh, this battle and Sam does not see how Stannis could you know compete against the combined houses of the South High Garden and and everything at Casterly Rock and everyone else. So, you know, John's not sure who the winning side is. I think you're right, Micah. It's a good place to be in as Lord Commander. You can probably justify um, neutrality and a little bit easier. Um, but John hasn't been neutral. John is taking risks. And you're right. This this gambit is a big risk uh, for John to take. And I think the John chapter says it best. Like he does send his friends away, uh, and when he gets into it with Jana Slint, uh, he just says, "You know, I wonder for all the men that voted for me, there are hundreds who didn't, and I wonder how many of them are waiting downstairs right now." Like John does actually is in over his head. He does not know uh, where his allies all are or how many of them he has. So it is an interesting position. It's maybe even foreshadowing John's vulnerability. Yeah. Well, and he says over and over to himself throughout this chapter that he needs to kill the boy with Eamon's final advice to him and kind of let the man become who he needs to become. And I think that that is also going to be a major motivating factor in his decisions with sending Sam and Maester Eamon and Gilly away and with what he does with with Slint. I think that he is trying to, he's found himself in this position and he's trying to take control and to become a Lord Commander and to not only have people believe him and have people respect him, but for him to believe it himself. And so I think that these are all steps that he needs to take in order to kind of come into his own in this situation on his own. And we wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team. They're not repeated. You can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. You can choose delivery options to fit your needs. And there's no weekly commitment. So you only get deliveries when you want them. Also, and finally, it's easy. 
Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, pre-portioned ingredients, and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. And I would just say that uh, that last part is huge. You know, just working all the time. I know all of us do here. The fact that you can get it delivered right to you and make it in 40 minutes or less without too much effort Mm -hmm. and it's good and nutritious, Mm -hmm. that says a lot. It's a game changer. Yeah. So you can check out this week's menu and get two free meals with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash owns. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I do think it's dangerous, though, that he is openly defying Stannis in, in, in this way and He's not allowing for this child uh, to be sacrificed. I, I know why he's doing it. Uh, he doesn't really believe, and and so this is this is what's comical, right? Knowing what we know about Melisandre bringing John back, the fact that in this chapter he's saying that it's all a bunch of nonsense, right? To sacrifice Mance, this idea of king's blood waking the dragon when Melisandre doesn't even know where this dragon is that's supposedly going to be awoken. And he has this line that I thought was really funny when he says, Mance's blood is no more royal than my own. And I said, well, little do you know, John. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. That's true, though. Like, what constitutes as yeah. king's blood for Melisandre? But I mean, we're dealing in, in, in mystery here. We're dealing in magic, ancient magic. This is the kind of stuff that, that Sam is telling John. Even in John's chapter, of course, you get the same conversation about how the children of the forest used to provide a hundred dragon glass weapons during oh, well, the- Well, I'm sure they did because they started the whole fucking thing in the first place. <laughs> now, better. hang on. That's yeah. using show uh, canon Yeah, that's true. We don't know if that's <laughs> accurate for the books, but for but the show, no, it I, is. I think- it would be wonderful if that were like a spectacular, like revisionist, like simplification of what actually happened. But um, I, I, I don't know if they're I, I, I just don't know how to play out in the books. But mm-hmm. yeah, like talking about this stuff and, and uh, shortchanging the, the red god will come back uh, to that in John's storyline. But the stories that Sam is reading about the headspace that he's occupying himself with uh, are, are all the things that we sort of want to know most about. And, you know, this chapter in large and uh, same with John's uh, are, are really about the political machinations behind recent events and how Sam must go off. And but it, it, it still manages to be sort of noble and it still manages to, to pique your interest. This idea that, uh, for instance, uh, Valyrian steel as well, you know, John's got his uh his 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 sword and we know that there's one in Hornhill as well sort of where Sam is 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 heading we know that from the show so there's still uh missions to be done and for once the mission is not necessarily you know at the wall uh which is which is cool i actually like the idea that the lord commander and surely this is been going on and has happened multiple times in the series already but the lord commander of the night's watch is allowed to dispatch uh, brothers to go on missions. Uh, you know, you think about Yorin, uh, taking new recruits from King's Landing, uh, you know, from the prisons to the wall. These are all sort of options that brothers do have from time to time to get warm, to mm-hmm. go off. And like, there's nothing more rational than replacing your maester who's inches away from death. Um, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, and he's, I mean, he's got to there and throughout John's chapter, there's a couple moments where he talks about how, um, 
the men of the Night's Watch are brave and smart and strong, but there's just not enough of them and there's too little for the task at hand. And so any small thing that they can do to fortify the work that they're doing, even if that means losing Sam for a little while, it, John's not working with a lot of resources here. And so um, I just, I felt you can feel the urgency start to build as we're, as you mentioned earlier, kind of touring through um, the wall here in these two chapters. Um, and then John, John gets that. Well, he realizes that if he doesn't start taking steps, that they're going to be in a really, really tough spot, right? Not just from the White Walkers, but I think from the remaining wildlings that are still a serious threat to their security. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, yeah, they've gotten mans, but they're still a good sizable army that's out there. They may not be organized, but that's probably even worse. The the fact that they are, you know, sort of these these random groupings and and can easily find different ways. And and even John mentions in his chapter, right, the the what Ned had said about the wall, the, the sort of the biggest issue with it uh, is 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 its length, not its height. I mean, the height is the greatest strength of it but the fact that it's so long exposes it to the fact that there are many ways to possibly get over it or get beneath it or get through it or get around it i, I don't know uh, which we've seen john do himself yeah right well and and his experience climbing the wall uh really helps him decide what needs to be done with what he tries to do with janice Lint and sending men to reinforce the tower exactly where he climbed up it mm. and prevent that well, from happening. He has uh, a dual purpose there. Uh, mm. He wants Janice Slint away from uh, Castle Black and away from Eliza Thorne. Sure. He also, as you said, I mean, there, there. it's funny to me that there is a certain level of respect that he seems to have for him, or at least when he's talking about Janice to other people and the fact that he was the head of the City Watch. So uh, there must be something about him uh, that would allow for him to, uh, you know, have control and and be able to be sort of an effective leader. Uh, mm-hmm. Though, you know, he he got votes too, right? I mean, I don't know how well, yeah, that, how he managed yeah. to get those votes, but he was able to get votes uh, to to be Lord Commander as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, the, the job needs doing, and John is able to. John always was able to sort of tell the the strengths of, of all of the men and, you know, strategy is, is one of Janos's so long as he doesn't let his pride get in the way, which of course he does. Um, Up until the very last moment. He's so slimy and awful though, right? Can we be biased? Of course we can be biased. No, we can't. You must be impartial. (laughs) You're not impartial to Janos Slint. I mean, you're reading these couple, it's like, three page, two or three pages with this whole situation when John's trying to get him to go to Greyguard and I feel I felt like it was almost like in high school where like John comes down to breakfast and you see Janice Slint and Alistair Thorne yeah kind of like hanging out and making fun of everyone the cool and John's, kids table yeah the cool kids table like you can see them laughing over the top kind of outwardly defying John and then John comes up and tries to confront him and he's laughing at him and so I was cheering out loud when John says, we'll take him to the wall and hang him. And then he's like, okay, just kidding. Actually, I'll take care of this. Um, And I think even better is the fact that he gets to have a little bit of revenge for his father, who Mm -hmm. Janos helped 
behead as well, right? Like, didn't he? Wasn't yeah. he up there? He, he, he had behead. I mean, he was in part responsible, right? He was yeah. under the direction of of well, Baelish or 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 Cersei. You know, the the thought was that the City Watch was going to align with with Ned, and they turned on him, and and so Janus is just as responsible for for Ned's death um i think you could argue as as joffrey was so it is that moment and we talked about it way back during the actual season when this happened and and just how it was a defining moment for john to be able to exact revenge for for his family to 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 really in some ways um avenge ned in in some yeah. And it doesn't completely avenge what's happened, but in some small way, you see a person who is just a complete and utter slime ball, Hannah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and kudos to uh, Dominic Carter who plays him as such a douchey slime ball yep. uh, and mm-hmm. makes him come across that way. But uh, yeah, you can't help but feel a sense of a vengeance, a sense of. Retribution. At least something going right uh, for. Well, because he also does it in a, a way moment. that's he does it in a way that's justified. Yeah, so it's not only does fair. he, yeah, it's. I mean, nobody can look at the situation and say John was in the wrong for doing what he did mm-hmm. because I think that this was a really good tactical move on his part. I mean, not only does he get to avenge his father, which you know whether or not that's in the back of his mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's already super biased against him anyway, but he also just has no choice. I mean, in terms of him being a commanding presence he can't have people like that acting that way and And he got massive stannis cred for (laughs) for what he did (laughs) stannis just glances at him and nods yeah "Mm -hmm." they had a little bit of a bromance (laughs) moment going on there i i do Uh, love how uh, you know you made the comparison to high school but it's very much like that as well like when john decides to execute uh, Janus, how more and more people come out to watch, or they they hear the commotion. Right? It starts in a very public like, place. Fight, it starts fight, in the, fight. yeah, it starts in the mess hall, <laughs> uh, you know, but but becomes this castle wide uh, thing. Even uh, the the wildling princess is is like looking on from her balcony atop the high tower in my head, uh, you know, to see what's going on. And yeah, that little nod from Stannis was was great. But ultimately, it's about. John, you know, really becoming who, deciding who he's going to be, deciding what kind of commander he's going to be. And he, as you said, he cannot tolerate dissent. He cannot be seen to show weakness. And I right. I think comparatively, it was probably easier for him to, him to kill Janice than it would be for someone that he really, 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 really liked. Um, but the, the motion is the same. Uh, and it very much rings true to Ned's old words. Uh, he who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Absolutely. Uh, he, he does swing the sword, gets to show off that Valyrian steel blade, uh-huh. uh, long claw one more time. And, and reminiscent of Ned in the very first chapter of, or, you know, prologue aside, the first chapter, Bran's chapter in a Game of Thrones when Ned beheads a member of the Night's Watch, uh, for deserting. So, you know, it was, is kind of a callback. It, it, you saw a moment right there where Ned was definitely or at least um, elements of his character were were present and I think that in that moment while he is definitely not Ned's son there was there was a lot of Ned that came through in the decision that he made and the fact that he carried it out the way that he did Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of Rob 
when he had to handle um, Car Starks. Car Stark. And how, because Eric, you mentioned how this is probably an easy thing, quote unquote, easy thing. No, comparably for John easy. to do. Comparably but easy. I, yeah. I think that Rob what had to what Rob had to do was much harder in, in terms of like killing the boy inside of him when he had to take care of Karstark's dissension. Um so that I just kind of was thinking about that as I was reading it's about true. John and, and how John handled the situation. Eric, you mentioned Valyrian steel and there was as part of the conversation between Sam and John, even though Sam didn't seem to find all that much useful information um, down in the crypts of 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 the wall, I guess. I mean, I don't know. They're not crypts. We're we're, we're just naming them whatever we want to name them at this point. But <laughs> uh, you know, in in the library, the sub basement, the stacks of the wall, the stacks uh, of the wall. I like the there stacks of the wall. The stacks uh, of the wall. You know, stacks of the wall. Stacks like on the stacks. North. The fact that the others could be defeated with with dragon steel, and and John, you know poses the question to Sam Valyrian steel and they're not really sure that they're one and the same. Um, but then John mentions the fact that, Oh, well, I guess I'll just convince all the Lords of the seven kingdoms to give us all of their Valyrian blades and all will be well. Uh, so we know from the show at hard home that Valyrian steel does in fact kill white walkers. So Sam seems to be onto something here between dragon glass and dragon steel and now we just need to find enough of it to be able to uh to defeat the white walkers mm-hmm. yeah and if, if we're using the show to inform it um inform things it could be that uh dragon glass was what made them in the first place um so it's the only thing that can reliably be used to destroy them which is very interesting to me it makes me optimistic for what sam's gonna be able to accomplish in old town yeah but what do you think he'll be able to find an old town that maybe he wasn't able to find up at the wall. Because as I was reading through this chapter and we were learning more about what Sam was learning about, it would seem to me that you would have had to have come across somebody who just didn't hear a story. They would have had to actually have encountered the White Walkers and and been able to live to tell the tale to put it into a book so that Sam would be able to find it in this library. Whereas I don't know what the Citadel may provide that is going to be of any additional benefit to, to Sam. I think it's it's certainly a question because on you like to think that the Citadel is going to have so many more books uh, on the subject. But then in the same chapters, uh, Meister Eamon actually is donating some books to the Citadel that he thinks they don't have. Uh, so it's like, well, if the wall was really where some books were that the Citadel didn't have, what hope does Sam really have? It's possible that the the most important book was, in fact, eaten by the mouse that Sam let go. Um, you know, I think that's a reality we have to consider as as critical thinkers and readers. Um, but I really want to know what kind of, like, I want him to find the answer between the, the causality loop that's there between whether or not the White Walkers bring the winter or the winter brings the White Walkers. I want I want there to be a book that, an- that answers that question. It's it's raised in both chapters in the Sam and the, the John night as well, right? Yeah, the night as well. Uh, it, it's uncertain in Sam's initial research uh, for days on end what causes what, and I think you know I just look forward to more of those specific answers. Um, but it's also you're not really instilled reading these chapters with a sense of hope that there will be an answer. 
Um, because for instance, Sam even says that the books that they have do not go back far enough. Um, so, you know, and, and, and that even then the first men, uh, you know, or, or any of the writings that, that would have helped were, you know, in, engravings on stones. Mm-hmm. Right. And like secondhand accounts and oral yes, histories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's uncertain, but all that is certain is that Sam is going to a warmer, uh, better place and he gets to take his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think he's getting a good end of the deal here. <laughs> but he's not taking a very direct route, right? I mean, it seems like he's going to be, yeah, he's going to make a pit stop in Bravos. Not sure who he's going to run into there uh, mm-hmm. before heading on to Old Town. So he's on his way on a journey with Maester Eamon and, and Gilly. It's a bit different than the show though, right? Because Maester Eamon, of course, doesn't travel with them. He dies at the wall. I know we make comparisons between book and show. I'm not really overly uh, upset by this. I don't know what you guys thought. No, I mean, to me, it's such a minor thing. Just one less Targaryen. Like, I think that there's other things that I can be annoyed about in the adaptation. And so I kind of let this one slide. Mm -hmm. In the, in the John chapter though, uh, Eamon does reference egg um, or another, another egg, uh, Aegon. And I was just thinking, yes, the egg. Well, because uh, the we also talked about an egg being buried under the wall, uh, so it's like, oh, that's kind of symmetry. But <laughs> well, it's between two Aegon. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the lots of eggs, only. And, lots of eggs in general symbolizing mm-hmm. birth and the cycle of life and death. Another question I had for for kind of the group here is, what did you think of John as Lord Commander versus the John that we've come to know? Because we see John and his interaction with Gilly specifically. He takes a very hard line with her. Mm. And I don't know if that's the John that uh, we've read about over the course of the last several books. He seems much different. And even in a lot of the other commentary that we get, whether it's from Pip or Gren, the, the references to John are no longer to John, they're to the Lord Commander. And he seems to have taken on this role very very seriously and obviously plays out the way that it does at the end of this chapter with him killing Jano Slint. Yeah, it's kind of like I was saying before, I think that John has no choice other than to act this way and we know that it, we see that it's kind of difficult for him when he's having this conversation with Gilly that he he can't show compassion because he doesn't want her to think that she can just cry and get away with it. I think that I think that it's difficult for John to do what he's doing and to be in the position that he's in, but I think that it's critical that he show a force of hand, even if it seems a little bit out of character, not necessarily out of character, but if, if it seems like a little bit of different from the John we know, I think that there's no way he would be able to survive in this position with, as we're saying, the uncertainty of who his friends really are and the position that the Night's Watch is in with everything under the sun. Um, I, I don't think he has much of a choice other than to kind of take a hard line Mm. And and act this way. I think it was probably mostly Eamon's plan anyway uh, for all of this. John is sort of just acting because he knows it's the right thing to do. Um, it might be discrediting John a little bit, but I, I think Eamon really is sort of the brains behind this final hurrah for himself. Uh, and Sam and Gilly, as I said, it really accomplishes a lot. Um, so it's a, it's a good plan for that reason. But I think also it's just Eamon's words were very prophetic. Uh, the ones he spoke to John in saying, you will take little joy in your, in your power, in your rule here. Uh, and you know, we see John in both chapters, uh, especially his own, uh, taking no joy 
in Mm -hmm. what he has to do. You know, he is sending away his friend. He is executing this guy, but ultimately as a, as a show of force, he would have been just as happy if uh, Janice had gone off to gray guard and actually constructed stuff. Now he's got to find somebody else to do it. Um, You know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a happy time for John. Michael, what do you, what do you think? How did you interpret that? Yeah. I, I just saw him in a completely different light than the John that I remember reading about previously seems to have hardened a bit and just though at the same time, I I agree with what you were saying in that he doesn't have much of a choice. He's, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a Stannis and (laughs) (laughs) a rock and ice wall and a Stannis or an ice wall and Stannis. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the things that he's going to have to do, whether he realizes it or not, are, are going to be a result of the fact that he has, Stannis literally next door to him and later on he's able to further I think uh, defy him by at least in the show right not willing to um, be named Jon Stark and and lay the the rightful claim to Winterfell Uh, he is beginning to go down that road though despite the fact that he does have this ever-present figure right there, a man not known for his compassion by any stretch, and he's willing to be so defiant to swap these children and and basically um, to pass um, Dollar's child, Mance's child, um, off as something that he's not. Uh, and I, I think that takes a lot um, for, for such a young kid to be able to do. And let's not forget how young he is. Um, right. he's, he's not the youngest, um, at least according to Sam, right? There were like four other Lord commanders that were younger than, right. than he was, but he's still young. And, and I think, you know, we're starting to see him morph into, uh, a leader and, you know, he's shown signs of it. He's demonstrated his ability to lead before. That's why he's in this position, but now he's going to have to really act upon, being a leader, you know, now he needs to do things and make tough decisions that weren't there before. And I think he's shown his ability to do that. Really, to me, the defining moment is the end of this chapter, Um, because I think that not only, you know, earns him Stannis cred points, um, but it demonstrates to the rest of the Night's Watch, you will obey me. I'm not messing around. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think given the types of people that we know that are at the wall, um, you know, these are, this is as ragtag bunch of people as you can get. Some are, are, are criminals, some are murderers, some are rapists. Uh, you know, the list goes on. These are not people that are likened to just take direction well. Um, even for somebody like Eliza Thorne, uh, who clearly does not like John. Um, but maybe gained a little bit of respect for him uh, in this moment. Yeah, I, I love how the moment is is there as well, uh, which was adapted to the show where Thorne steps aside. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, I mean, clearly he had other plans that he, he was he was working <laughs> on uh, that that he carries out later on. But I I, I just think that now we're in a place for John where. He he's got this position of power, whether he likes to likes it or not, and he's going to have to find a way to to effectively lead mm-hmm. or die trying. Well, 
Yeah, well, I don't know. That was yes. up to him necessarily. <laughs> let's talk owns. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of ownworthy things in both of these chapters, as similar as they may be. Uh, who wants to go first? Who's got a good one? I'm ready to go. Uh, my first own for the Sam chapter is going to go to Sam. He says, I don't have time for this. Sam left his friends and made his <laughs> way towards the armory. Yeah. <laughs> clutching his <laughs> books to his chest. And he thinks, I am the shield that guards the realms of men. He remembered. He wondered what those men would say if they realized their realms were being guarded by the likes of Gren, Pip, and Dolores Ed. Aww. I thought that was great because we see this ragtag bunch at the wall and what, what people would think of knowing that the, their lives are in the hands of these guys. Yeah. I'd feel fine about it, honestly, but you need a little cool. bit of comedy. Yeah. It reminded me, I actually say this when, when Pip and Gren kind of show up, um, as Sam is, is talking with, with dollar said, uh, it, it was a bit of a Fred and George kind of coming out of, you know, behind, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, some set piece and and I don't know they're, they're they're like the comic duo right they're yeah they're comic relief so I would I have no problem with the likes of Pip and Gren uh, being in charge of the Night's Watch. What's your own, Micah? Well, we we mentioned this earlier, I think, um, and it's actually John is the one that I give the own to when he tells On the Sam, Sam chapter. Yeah, on the Sam chapter. <laughs> oh, uh, nice. <laughs> from, from this day forth, you will not call yourself a craven. You face more things this past year than most men face in a lifetime. You can face the Citadel, but you'll face it as a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. I can't command you to be brave, but I can command you to hide your fears. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was sharp. That was very sharp. And I hope that Sam really takes to that uh, on his travels and remembers John's words and follows through on the order, seeing as how he did elect him. Uh, my own is much, uh, less cool, but I'm going to give it, uh, all the same. Never stopped me before the books that Sam is reading, get my own. Uh, they have titles like the Jade Compendium. They have titles <laughs> like the Annals of the Black Centaur. So this guy, I would former, love to read that one, right? Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, Orbert Caswell, uh, I presume was known as the Black Centaur. Uh, you just wonder, you know, I, I granted, uh, the book is not, it doesn't begin well, it seems, uh, each day, a daily account of his life. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, there's got to <laughs> be some good stuff in there. And Sam, who I'm jealous of, got to read all about it. Um, and we'll continue to read all about the, the deepest mysteries and most shocking backstories of the realm. Seriously, mm-hmm. what would you give to be able to be down there for just like a week? In that library? In, yeah. Uh, I think I'd lose my eyes. Be awesome. Well, uh, you know, Micah, you mentioned uh, Gren and, and Pip, uh, and Dollar Zed was mentioned as well. Dollar Zed's who I'm going to give my John chapter own to. He has a very good line. It's the beginning of the John chapter uh, where he's talking about books uh, and his, was it his, not his wet nurse, um, his maester always said that books are dead men talking and dead men should keep quiet. I just thought it was a great um, sort of, analogy to the situation of the watch uh at the wall having to defend the realm from literally dead men that are talking or have at least been brought back to life uh and at the same time the fact that these books these dead men talking uh of the books are the ones that are going to tell sam how to defeat the threat uh Mm -hmm. to the realm so it's sort of they have to rely on these dead men talking to destroy the dead men talking. It's kind of cool. And not at all terrifying. And terrifying. I'm going to give my own 
to a situation that was both in the Sam chapter and the John chapter when Sam gets his hand pecked at and, and it starts bleeding. It says, Sam gingerly removed his glove. He did. I'm bleeding. And John says, we all shed our blood for the watch. Wear thicker gloves. <laughs> Life's tough. Get a helmet. Get thicker skin, yeah. Sam. Well, he has been losing weight. If you uh, yes. notice that in the chapter. Little, not a six pack, but probably close enough. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> that's exactly uh, that's exactly what it said. Mm-hmm. He's on the mouse ate my food diet. There you go. All right. Well, uh, my own actually for the uh, John chapter goes uh, to Eamon and uh, Eric alluded to this during uh, during the discussion uh, when he says, allow me to give my Lord one last piece of counsel, the same counsel that I once gave my brother when we parted for the last time. He was three and thirty when the great council chose him to mount the iron throne, a man grown with sons of his own, yet in some ways still a boy. Egg had an innocence to him, a sweetness we all loved. Kill the boy within you, I told him the day I took ship for the wall. It takes a man to rule. An Aegon, not an egg. Kill the boy and let the man be born. You are half the age that Egg was, and your own burden is a crueler one, I fear. You have little joy of your command, but I think you have the strength in you to do the things that must be done. Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. That's really great. Yeah. That's a great passage. What is going on behind you, Eric? There is some loud fucking locust. Some loud... <laughs> so, also interesting that um, Aemon took ship to uh, head to the wall to become um, a man of the Night's Watch. And yet, he's taking his ship now back to Old Town. To his death. I mean, what? To Old Town? Let's hope that he makes it. Wink, wink. Okay, he doesn't make it, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, come on. No, no, no. Don't spoil anybody who's reading The Feast with Dragons reading order for the first time. Yes. Actually, that's that's a good own for prognosticating one's own demise and setting up a plan. It's very Dumbledore-esque. Uh, to set up a plan by which your death helps the most people. Well, I know that a number of uh, listeners sent in their owns for these chapters as well. And just like during season six, uh, they did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Right, Eric? Right, mm-hmm. Micah. Uh, let's do this. We got some owns. First, Reese Palazzolo over on Facebook, who says, I'm giving a combined own for both chapters. To George R. R. Martin for the crossover of events in these two chapters. It was great to see the conversation between John and Sam through both characters' perspectives and see their inner monologue throughout the conversation. As far as I can remember, this is the only time we get to see the exact same event uh, through two different characters. Oh, and secondary own to John for finally dealing with that bastard Jenna Slint once and for all. Hear, hear. Hear, hear. Mm-hmm. Mark Mahal says, Sam... The own goes to John for the badass quote, It's death and destruction I want to bring down upon House Lannister, not scorn. Mm-hmm. And for John, his own goes to Stannis for the head nod. Real recognize real. <laughs> <laughs> Next on Facebook, we have Emily Philo who says, My own goes to the reveal of the baby swap. Pretty sure I yelled obscenities at Jon Snow for that. What a punch in the gut. Hashtag, I'm not crying, you're crying. Hashtag, WTF. Lindsay McVeigh says, my own goes to Gilly for being a badass mom and keeping to the plan. Uh, I'm going to read another one here. Jay Wells on Twitter owned Gilly's presence for not only flustering Sam, but also giving rise to, well, risings. <laughs> Hashtag, 
Sam the Creeper. <laughs> well, that's a quote from the book. Mm-hmm. Well, not the Sam the Creeper part. That not the a... Sam the Creeper part. That's unfair. <laughs> pretty much. Sam pretty the much. seducer, right? Sam the seducer. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margot on Twitter says, Sam's chapter own has to go to the Annals Mouse, who was so cute. He's going to get food instead of a large book on the head. <laughs> it is true. It is known. We've got Brianna Tarth on Twitter. Sam Owen goes to John for slicing through Sam's cowardice and making him nut up and go to Old Town. <laughs> and then John Owen goes to George for saving himself some time by essentially copying and pasting Sam's chapter. Well, you got to change the italics to non-italic and the mm-hmm. quotes to the other person. But other than that, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And last but not least, we have... He then, uh, on Twitter, who says, Sam well owned to those damn ravens, reading letters, begging for food, and shouting about snow, maybe trying to tell us something, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. And John, John owned Jana Slint, slipping one last, my lord, before letting Longclaw separate Jowly Head from Neck. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's We're not now. too broken up about Janice Lynn. No, I wonder I'm, why. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. Things got yeah. somber there for a second. We're yeah. just like, eh, nope, nope. Do not we feel really. sad about this? No, 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 not no. really. Didn't really <laughs> feel bad in the show either. So. I'm going to give uh, a shout out to the Wrong Way Rangers. I want to know where those guys are going. I'm surprised nobody owned them. People don't have my same mm. sense of humor, I guess. Some politicking going on. Yeah, something with Stannis sending people off. But uh, Lord knows John has the secrets. So, so, uh, yeah. What's uh, what's next in a feast with dragons? We have uh, we've just had Samuel one and John two. Next week Brienne. we have Brienne two from Feast for Crows and Tyrion three from Dance with Dragons. Yeah. Boom. So, uh, if you're uh, interested in you know following through with this uh, this reading order, you can check it out uh, at a feast with dragons dot com it uh, is perfectly color coded for your every need so that uh, you know which book uh, we're going to be reading from uh, so you as, don't read the wrong chapters so mm-hmm. you don't read the wrong chapters like I may have done last week <laughs> we're gonna laugh about mm-hmm. for a Good while tell. sorry Couldn't Micah <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's okay you even laughed in my face when I saw you this past week that's yeah, funny. true <laughs> so um, Anna and I uh, managed to uh, talk a little bit of Thrones uh, when I was down in D.C. Uh, earlier this week, so mm-hmm. it was good to see Hannah. It was great. And then Micah played Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. back to the ho- No, no, yeah, not, during the, not during oh, the conversation. <laughs> guys, during the whole conversation. Back. Guys, I just got level five and I joined a team. <laughs> oh, look at you. Yeah. I have I not even downloaded up. the app. I'm mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah, I'm nutting up. Now you need to go catch the uh, Rattata in the bushes in the stacks of uh, the wall I, it should be eradicated it's so well fed on those oh, books well, yeah you're right <laughs> um, well there are a number of ways that uh, you can of course send in your owns for next week's chapter readings Brienne 2 and Tyrion 3 uh, much like listeners did for this week you can tweet at us at Game of Owns scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns or shoot us an email at contact at Game of your dashing hosts also uh, participate in another podcast you may be familiar with that is of course the squad of ice and fire over on the Game of Owns Patreon patreon.com slash goo and I will say it is Hannah's favorite podcast. It is my favorite podcast. She and I have no shame in that. The entire time in DC, <laughs> it's all she talked about. <laughs> yeah. Well, one other thing uh, I think before we go here that we could briefly touch upon is we uh, 
head into our Brienne and Tyrion readings is that concerning uh, a recent guest actually on this show, there's going to be a Game of Thrones concert tour mm. next year. Um, coming to a city near you, you can check out actually uh, Watchers on the Wall, find out all the latest information. But this looks to be a, a pretty epic uh, event that I know all Thrones fans uh, are going to enjoy. It's going to be, be very cool. I'm going to really, get really tickets cool. right by the exit so that when the strings start up, I can run right out. Yes. The reins of, of, of Castamere. You better bolt you better out, of get out of there. The only tickets that will be sold will be exit rows. Uh, let me tell you. I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait. I bet Ramina's on cloud nine right now. Uh, looking forward to, to the just wide reception uh, that I'll see in person. Yeah, absolutely. He deserves it. And uh, I know... There are some of us who have been at similar types of events for Potter, and it, it's truly a, a, an amazing experience to have sort of a full orchestra. I'm sure there'll be a lot of different surprises planned uh, throughout the show. Um, you know, in, in most cases, tickets start uh, as low as $40. Uh, so I think that, you know, it's definitely affordable. They definitely want fans to be able to come out and enjoy it. Um, definitely go on, like I said, to watchers and check out the full schedule. Eric, I see it's going to be in Chicago on February 19th. It's going to be here in New York city ah. on March 7th, Hannah DC on March 1st. So, uh, and, and plenty of other places, uh, in between. So, uh, definitely, uh, something i think we're all looking forward to to going and seeing we've got this we've got con of thrones what more can anyone ask for it's true maybe a brienne and Tyrion chapter discussion next week we will see you then until next week 